0: All right. Uh, how you guys doing? Doing all right? Yeah? Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Marco. I'm the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse Community Church. Thank you guys so much for joining us this morning. Good to have you. Uh, we're going to find ourselves—let me tell you where we're at, and then I'll start rambling. Uh, we're going to find ourselves in Habakkuk. I promise you it's in the Bible— Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. Make sure you pay attention to how you're scrolling through your hard copies because it's only three chapters, so it's pretty quick that you miss it, but it's in the Old Testament. Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. 11. Or you could load your phone and that would be much easier. Now, while you're going through that, let me let me give you a, man, let me rant a little bit. If you're new or you've been with us for some time, you want to learn a little bit more about us, on your chairs I think there should be or there are some Connect cards uh, when we pass the plates for, for offering. Man, fill it out, dump it in there, or take it to the Connect desks where we'll uh, get back to you within the week to help you get connected, answer some of your questions, let you know what's going on in the world of of storehouse and how you can be a part of that. Um, so that's, that is that. We're going to find ourselves in Habakkuk 1 uh, uh, this week. Next week, we're going to close this chapter up. We started this uh, series uh, called uh, The Righteous Will Live by Faith. Uh, essentially, this is kind of the big plot, the moral, the theme of the book of Habakkuk. It's actually taken from chapter 2, verse 4, something that we'll, we'll touch on in the next couple of weeks. Now, as we've walked through Habakkuk, even though we've only gone into the first chapter or as we've begun to unpack the first chapter, uh, it seems very appropriate and very relevant to our day. So by way of review, by way of recap, you can go to Habakkuk 1 verse 1. And this is just to give you a little bit of a recap, right? Where he writes the oracle, the Habakkuk, that Habakkuk the prophet saw, so here's what's going on to give you a quick recap. Now it says the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. That's a lot in one verse. What that means is that he was given a burden and through that burden, he was given a vision by God. Right? Uh, we know that he is a prophet, which means that he has been called, he has been chosen by God to go preach repentance to a people, uh, to God's people. Uh, and one of the beautiful... Uh, I guess one of the beautiful scenes or, or the beautiful scene that we have in this book is that, uh, one, it, there isn't necessarily any prophecy. In fact, it's behind the scenes conversation behind, with, excuse me, behind the scenes conversation with God and one of his prophets. Right When you read through uh, Ezekiel or Jeremiah, you see these guys who are being called by God, sent out to go preach, and you see them face several obstacles, you see them uh, face persecution, um, and I think oftentimes, at least I have, you tend to wonder, well, what's going on behind the scenes? What happens when they go to the people and they're preaching repentance? They're saying, thus saith the Lord, and nothing is happening. I think Habakkuk gives us a really good picture of what that looks like, right? Of what that conversation with God looks like. And I say that because the setting is that all of what Habakkuk is talking about is that he is seeing corruption and injustice and evil unravel before him, right? Now, the the catch of all of this, what makes it so personal, is that the corruption, the evil, and the injustice he is seeing is coming from God's people, right? That's where it's coming from. And so as he's going to God, essentially, he began last week by saying, how long? How long are you going to allow this to happen? How long are you going to wait until you finally do something? And why I believe it's so relevant to our time today is because you can pretty much go on anything from social media to the news to particularly your own life and maybe even at times have seen seasons where you're crying out to God saying, How long? When are you going to do something? How long are you going to allow this to happen? And so that's essentially the background and the setting and the tone that Habakkuk gives us in those first four verses. Furthermore, one of the things that I appreciate about Habakkuk, and we covered this last week, was that he is just very honest with God. Right? In other words, he doesn't turn to other gods. He doesn't turn away from him. In fact, he brings his complaints, his frustrations, his questions before God. And he's saying, I, I don't understand this. I can't wrap my brain around this. What's going on? And when are you going to do something about it? I think, I think that's something that we could all take away from. That's something that, that I think he is doing intentionally in the sense of being transparent. Right, and we talked a little bit about that last week. Now, this is an opportunity for us to come before God in the midst of chaos, in the midst of things just unraveling before us. And so now we find ourselves in verses 5 through 11. We find ourselves in verses 5 through 11, and this is, this is where God responds, right? And so I think one of the first things that I want to encourage you on is that God answers prayer, And I know that's a very general statement, and we'll get a little bit more into that in just a bit, right? But God answers prayer because we see Habakkuk crying out to him, and then God responds, right? So here's what I'll do. Let me read 5 through 11. Now, by way of preface, if you have the notes, if you've downloaded the app, uh, if you haven't, you should because you can see all the notes that I'm running off of. It's free. It's free. Um, you'll see that I break or I separate this section with just verse five and then six through eleven. Um, there isn't really anything significant in that as I 'm just going to run through all of those verses. I think that 's just how my brain works. I needed some separation. But here we go. This is beginning in verse five of chapter one. And so the Lord answers and he says, "Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded." For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, or the the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves." Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press on, press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, hopefully with our hearts prepped for worship, not just through song, but through your word, Lord, my prayer first and foremost, is that you would be glorified in this time. Secondly, I pray that, Lord, I would be set aside, merely used by your Holy Spirit to communicate your word. And that through your word, thirdly, that we would come to this place where we actually come before you. To where we know that we can come before you. That we can approach the grace of your throne and boldness. Lord, I pray that this time would be fruitful, but I also pray that it would be challenging. Lord, be with us this morning. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, here we go. Now remember, on the notes, there's a separation, but I'm not necessarily separating it because it's one giant response. And I can't necessarily dive into it without referring back to Habakkuk's questions from verses one through four. But here's, here's what we see. We're seeing that God is responding to Habakkuk. And here, here's what I love, excuse me, here's what I love about God. Uh, if you could put up the verse five. Here's what I love about his response. Habakkuk is saying, you know, how long are you gonna wait? When are you gonna do something? And his response is, look among the nations, wonder and be uh, be astounded, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. It's not really an answer, right? It's, It's a response, but it's not really an answer. And I think what God is doing in Habakkuk and ultimately what he does with us is that he is challenging, encouraging, and exhorting Habakkuk in the sense that Habakkuk has tunnel vision. He is looking at everything that is right before him because everything is unraveling right in front of him. And last week we talked about being issue-driven versus cross-driven. And oftentimes when it comes to an issue, when it comes to a season, we're right here. Nothing else matters but this particular issue. And God's response to Habakkuk is saying, look, Wander and be, and be astounded. Essentially, what he is saying in that, he's saying, you're here. I'm working out here. I need you to take your eyes off of this issue and place your eyes on me, my word, and what I'm doing. All right? Even if you don't have all of the answers. Even when you don't have all of the answers. And in the midst of that, what happens is, and you can see this even from Habakkuk's complaint, is as he is going to God and God is telling him, look and be astounded, what we can see from Habakkuk's language is that he is ultimately beginning, because of his tunnel vision, he's ultimately beginning to create two categories. He's creating a category of good guys and he's creating a category of bad guys, right? Right? He's creating a category of good guys and he's creating a category of bad guys. He's creating a category of good guys in the sense that he is saying, man, I'm one of your prophets. I'm considered righteous. I've done what you've asked me to do. These are your people. We're considered the good guys. Now, you tell me that you're raising up the Babylonians, the Chaldeans. Those are the bad guys. Why are you raising up the bad guys? And I think why that's so relatable is because when you and I find ourselves in a chaotic season or a difficult season or a challenging season, maybe much like the one you're in or maybe you know someone who's in one, you very quickly change your theology and go to good guys and bad guys. I'm good, they're bad. Why are you doing this? Yet the Bible teaches that there are two categories. Bad guys and Jesus. Those are the categories that the Bible teaches. Now, uh, sub points of those bad guys are those who are repentant and those who are not. But there's still two categories. In fact, the Bible goes to teach us just how bad we are. We can go to Genesis, for example. In Genesis, man, God created everything and said that it was Good. Created man and said that it was very good. Right. Test failed. Just kidding. Right. <laughs> said that it was very good. right? That's Genesis 1 and 2. And then what happens in Genesis 3? right? Our theology is challenged and we rebel against God. We rebel against God. That's how bad we are that we wanted to be like God. We wanted essentially to be God. If that's not so much, you're like, yeah, that was Genesis. Okay, then let's go to the crucifixion of Jesus. We're so bad that we yelled, crucify him. There's bad guys, and then there's Jesus. And Jesus entered into human history in the midst of our corruption and our mess, right? And went to die on a cross for sinners, And we'll touch more on that in just a bit, but I want to make that clear. I think this becomes so relatable again, because in the midst of chaos or when we don't see things going our way, or particularly when things aren't going our way, there are good guys and there are bad guys. God, I'm one of the bad, or excuse me, I'm one of the good guys. I've done what you've asked me to. Do. I'm doing the good things. I've gone to church on Sunday. I've did community group. I downloaded, uh, you know, the He Reads Truth. I'm doing all of these things. I'm the good guy. But that's not necessarily what we see. In fact, what we see is that God, as a father, sees his kids are just as bad as the other kids. That's what he sees right? The Babylonians, as they are being raised up, it's not like they were amazing, and then God's like, I need you to do bad things. They were already in rebellion and in rejection of God. He directs them now to deal with his people, to deal with his kids. And so I think that's the first thing I want us to look at, those two categories, right? Good guys and bad guys, and we tend to do that, right? Habakkuk is trying to wrap his brain around what God is doing, and and as he comes to God, he places himself in the position of being good. And then he wonders why God isn't doing what he is supposed to be doing. Enter the rest of God's response. God, in his response, in light of chapter 2, which we'll get to in a little bit or in a couple of weeks, God is calling Habakkuk to live by faith. He's calling Habakkuk to live, to live by faith so much that he doesn't necessarily answer Habakkuk's questions, but he does respond to him. How many of you have had that experience? Man, you're praying, you're bringing all of these things before the Lord, but he doesn't answer you. But he responds, but it's not necessarily the answer you're looking for. And oftentimes when that happens, what, what, what God is doing in that moment is like, got it, let, let me deal with you. And then, and then we'll go there, and you're like, no, 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 don't change the subject, God. I'm asking you about these things. And in that moment, God is saying, well, I'm going to deal with you first. And so in this section and throughout the narrative of the book, God is calling Habakkuk to live by faith. And why that's so significant, why that's so significant in light of the whole category position is that when we begin to argue good guys versus bad guys and i said that our theology changes what we are then saying is that we are saved by what we do we are saved by our works but that's not true that's not biblical rc sproul says it this way the thing that characterizes the righteous person above all else is an abiding trust in god and his promises Because righteous people trust the Lord, they continue to believe Him even when He seems slow to act. Obedience is never the ground for our acceptance before God. Those whom the Lord regards as righteous are righteous in His sight before they live a life of faithfulness to Him. Christ and His work are the ground of their righteous status Received by faith alone. Obedience and trust are the fruit of justification, not its cause. This is what he's saying God accepts us on the condition of faith alone. Our acceptance from God is not based on our work or our merit. So when we change up to looking at bad guys versus good guys, what we are saying is that I'm doing all of the right things. God, why are you doing this? But God's response, not his answer, his response is that you shall live by faith. You shall live by faith. So let's talk a little bit about that. I've written up a couple of categories. Sweating. Here we go. First one is, If God calls us to live by faith, well then, let's look at what faith isn't first. Cool? Let's look at what faith isn't. The first thing is uh, faith is not wishful thinking or blind. You see, oftentimes, this is how we define faith, that we define faith as something that we kind of hope that will happen, or we take that big statement of, man, faith is taking a leap out into the dark and hoping i'm going to get caught hoping something happens faith is not wishful thinking and it is not blind the second thing it's not it's uh, it's not getting what we want all of the time it's not getting what we want right that's what faith isn't and i'll and i'll touch on this in a little bit with a little bit more so those are two things faith is not now let's look at what faith is first one is faith is conforming our will to God's. Now, we just finished praying this on the Lord's Prayer, right? Your kingdom come. What was the next part? Your will be done. We just said it. We are saying that we desire for God to accomplish His will. That's in direct opposition to getting what we want. Faith isn't getting what we want. It's God accomplishing His will. Here's the second thing it is. I mean, I could just look at this TV. Go ahead. Or not. I'm just kidding. Faith helps us come before God. Now, I'm going to park here for a little bit. Faith helps us come before God. Here's, here's what I mean by this. Or better yet, let me, let me give you kind of a narrative of what faith is as I impact several of these things. The ground on which faith stands is in the promises of God's word. The ground upon which faith stands are the promises of God's word. So with that, the second point being, faith helps us come before God. There are two things that tend to happen in the middle of a crazy season, or in the season that you see your friends going through, or the season you're about to come into. What tends to happen is either we become frustrated with God instead of bringing our frustrations to God, or we begin to accuse God instead of bringing our questions to Him. Feel me on that? That's what Nehemiah does. Excuse me, that's what he did last week. That's what he's doing next week. He is bringing his frustrations to God. He is being open and honest, and he's bringing his frustrations before God. What we tend to do, at least I tend to do, when things aren't going the way you'd like them to, or that prayer hasn't been answered, we become frustrated with God. And unlike us, Habakkuk goes before him and brings those frustrations to him. In addition to that, we will begin to accuse God instead of bringing questions to him. Habakkuk brings questions to him. He's trying to work it out. He's externally processing what's going on. But sometimes what you and I will do is that we will begin to accuse God. You said you were good. My life isn't good. What's going on? You said you loved me or you said you are love, but this doesn't look like love. Therefore, you're not love. Right? Right? We bring accusations before God. And maybe you're like, nah, I don't do that with God. But you do it with others. Maybe instead of bringing questions to other people, you accuse them. You'll do your homework and you'll do your research and you begin to accuse others rather than bringing questions to them. Rather than dealing with them directly. This is Proverbs 18:17, uh, I think. And he writes, The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Right? We always sound right when it's just us. And when it's just us, our ideas are the best. If you want to know how to figure out, or if you want to know if your idea is a bad one, tell a group of people. Right? Here's the third thing. I hope that makes sense. Here's the third thing that faith is, or that faith helps us with. Help, excuse me, faith helps us see the difference between discipline and punishment. Same thing. We could look at this in our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. When it comes to discipline, the point behind discipline is that we are able to see that it helps and it aims for correction. Does it hurt? Yes. Discipline hurts. But there is a purpose behind it. Its aim is correction. Its aim is to kind of align us back up. You could look at this practically. Let's see. If you go to the gym, right, when you go work out, you're causing your body pain. What you're doing when you lift weights is that you're tearing down your muscle cells. Right? that hurts. That's why you get sore. That's why lactic acid builds up in your muscles. And so the next day or two days later, after you've, you know, lifted the 10 pound dumbbells, you're like, everything is so sore, right? Everything just hurts. That's all of the lactic acid that has built up in the muscle belly. In addition to that, the day that you went to lift weights, what you did was you started tearing down that muscle. Now, does it hurt? Yes, it hurts but it's discipline. Why is it discipline? What's the purpose behind it? To get healthy, to be fit, to get stronger, right? You could list a bunch of things. Man, I want to keep up with my kids, whatever your thing is. There's a purpose behind it, right? Faith helps us see that there is a difference between discipline and punishment. When we discipline our children, right? When, when my wife and I have disciplined our, our son, he doesn't like it. But man, the same thing happens every time we sit down. Rebecca and I will pray. Then we'll go to Chango, right? And we'll say, hey, this is the gospel. Mom and dad get disciplined as well. And the point of discipline is correction. This doesn't mean that I don't love you. I love you so much that, man, I'm going to do this. I'm going to uphold this. And then the outside of that, right, he gets disciplined, and then who's still there? Dad or mom. They're still there. There is a purpose behind discipline. Discipline also is used to remove harm. There's a difference between getting hurt and being harmed. Discipline hurts. We're all going to agree on that, right? Discipline hurts, but it also aids in removing harm. It also aids in removing harm. You see this not just the gym, not just in parenting, but even with your relationships with your friends. When your friend calls you out, you know, the one thing nobody likes. When your friend calls you out, when your friend brings something before you, it hurts. It hurts, man, because you don't want that. You want to be liked. I don't want to talk about these hard things Proverbs 27 6 says, Faith is the vehicle, or excuse me, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. You see, when we begin to uh, distinguish discipline from uh, punishment, we're able to at least have a better gauge at what God is doing. That's number one. Number two, when we're able to do that, we're able to see what's actually happening. You see, sometimes, man, when a friend calls you out, or better yet, sins against you, how many of you in your heart immediately go to this place of, man, you don't love me, you said you'd never hurt me, and you did. Obviously, you're not a good person for me, right? When you, essentially, we begin to act like kids. We just mask it with hashtags and social media and we begin to say, oh, I'm praying about that. No, have the conversation. Have the conversation. But oftentimes, what we associate discipline with is punishment. So when someone sins against us or even when we sin against them, we immediately go to punishment. It's not punishment. right? Some of you laugh because it's true. It's not punishment. Here's the next thing that faith is. Faith is the vehicle that carries us through the tension. Here's what I mean by that. God responds to Habakkuk, but doesn't necessarily answer him. Right? How long are you going to wait? I'm actually raising up the Babylonians. I'm going to wipe it out. It's not really an answer, Right? I mean, it's a response, but it's not really his answer. That's the tension that we're called to live in. Man, does it stink sometimes? Yes, it does, because it's thick, and sometimes we lack clarity, and sometimes we don't know what God is doing, and sometimes we don't fully understand, and that's exactly where God tells us to live, in the tension. And what carries us through the tension is faith it's faith. Now remember, you're like, yeah, but what does that mean? Is that blind? No, 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 no. remember faith, the ground upon which it stands is the word of God. That's what carries us through that tension. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Man, if you're walking by sight, you got all the answers, right? But I assure you, I don't have all of the answers, I don't think you do either. And then finally, the last thing is, faith is trust in the person, not the outcome. Faith is trust in the person, but not the outcome. I guess one of the questions I'd I'd challenge or I'd encourage you to work through is, can you trust God when you don't have all the answers? Can you trust God even when he hasn't necessarily answered you? Can you trust that he is sovereign and has everything under his control, but he hasn't hooked you up with all of the details? Parents, you can line up with this, right? Sometimes, kiddos, man, where are we going? Over there. (laughs) At least that's what I say. (laughs) Right? In that moment, my son needs to trust me that I will take us to wherever that destination is, right? I'm not saying that's a good answer, right? Can you trust God when it's still muddy, still lacks a little bit of clarity? Can you trust him and walk by faith? remember, I'm, I'm challenging. I'm asking you, I'm challenging, I'm asking you to trust in the person, not the outcome, not the issue. Can you trust in the person and not the outcome? Let's look at, uh, this is Micah 6, 8. What I love about Micah 6, 8 is that essentially in the form of a question, God tells us what, uh, man, what we're supposed to do. And that's it, you know? He writes, uh, He has told you, oh man, what is good? And what what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Yeah, but what about, are you walking humbly with your God? But I still don't know, are you walking humbly with your God? I just need to know that, are you walking by faith under the foundation of God's Word? That's what he's asking Habakkuk to do. That's where he's pushing. That's where he's discipling Habakkuk in. Walking by faith. So as we move forward, let's, uh, let's look a little bit, uh, let's look at some practical stuff, right? A lot of you guys love the practical. Okay, so, so tell me what to do. What must I do then? I got it. Walk by faith, not by sight. Hook me up. What am I supposed to do? lament all of the dudes are like i'm not going to cry i'm going to go watch ufc right lament i'll explain in a bit the reason i say lament one let me let me say this for you for you gentlemen if you like tighten up if you uh, if you buckle your necks at lamenting right let me just remind you that one of the dudes who lamented the most in the Bible was King David. And that dude straight up took people's heads off. Just saying. Just saying. Here we go. When we lament, here, I'm going I'm to pair up several things. Lamenting goes hand in hand with healing. Because one of the questions when we're talking about that tension that God tells us to live in, Right? One of the questions is, okay, if this is the tension he tells us to live in, how do I get by this? Or how do I get through this? I understand through faith, so then what does that practically look like? What does the outworking of faith in that tension look like? Man, lamenting goes hand in hand with healing. Because when you lament, you get to grieve, you get to begin to emotionally process what's going on, and as you begin to do that, it leads to healing. Time doesn't heal, God heals. Okay? Okay? Lamenting goes hand in hand with healing. The second thing that uh, that we see when we lament is is that it helps us to be honest. It helps us to be honest with ourselves as we go before God instead of always playing the victim. You see, when we become very emotional about what's going on or when we refuse to see what God is doing or what's actually happening, one of the things that we tend to do is that we become the victim. It's because of him. It's because of her. It's because of this thing and that thing. And if they hadn't done this and if they hadn't said that and if they hadn't put themselves here, I wouldn't be in this position through lamenting, it allows us to be honest, or it should allow us to be honest. That's what Habakkuk is doing. He goes before God with his frustrations as he's trying to figure it out. And he's being honest. He's not being completely the victim. The third thing is process and pressure. I don't know what kind of processor you are. Some of you are external processors. In other words, you like to talk about what's going on up here so that you can begin to figure it out. That always doesn't just mean that you enjoy communicating. That might mean that you write stuff down. That might mean that you use a whiteboard. That might mean that you have a soundboard, someone to bounce ideas off of. Some of you are internal processors. You begin to, man, get some alone time, think about what's going on, try to puzzle things back together. Whatever it is, both have their benefits. My encouragement would be that you engage in both of those and that you would process what's going on. Because when we don't process what we become as pressure cookers, all this pressure begins to boil in us and it begins to surface. And then someday, at some point, somewhere, someone is going to say something that, man, has nothing to do with whatever's going on in your life. And you're just going to unload on them. And I don't mean in the good way. I don't mean where you're saying like, let me tell you about my life. It's I hate you, right? Like you're going to unload on them. By processing, it helps prevent that, right? Process and pressure. The next thing is uh, counsel and wisdom. As you begin to process, because sometimes processing isn't always counsel. It's just you trying to sort what's going on up here, right? That's the whole point of a whiteboard. That's the whole point of a journal. You're just trying to figure it out. As you are doing this, man, receive counsel, Some of you don't like getting counsel. But the reason you don't like getting counsel is because you don't want to be wrong. Right? Get counsel. Get counsel. Look at it from a different... Let let someone look at it from a different angle so that they can encourage you. Someone who is going to give you good, godly counsel. Because what then tends to happen is, hopefully, what the Spirit will do is help you discern what you're receiving and it'll lead you to wisdom. Some of you have a ton of knowledge, but you lack in wisdom. And what's the difference? Wisdom is knowing what to do with knowledge, okay? It leads you to wisdom. And touching back on a little bit on that as counsel and wisdom, it helps you to continue to be honest, because now someone else is in that process with you. This past week, what I appreciated so much about our community group is that they were super honest with what's going on in their lives. When asked, how are you doing and what's going on? One of them said, emotionally not well. I loved that answer. I loved that answer. And the reason I love that answer is because it's not the typical, I'm doing fine. How are you? They were straight up Another one, when asked, how are you doing, his response was, I know I need to deal with some emotions, but I don't want to bring them before God, because then that means I need to work through them. Man, that is transparency 101. That is vulnerability 101. And by bringing it out and processing it out loud, they're able to receive counsel and prayer, which in hope leads to wisdom. All right? Right? What's the next one? I think there's one more. No, there's two more. The next one is fasting and communion. When we fast, let me let me let me preach a little, as if not, not already. But let me let me preach a little bit on fasting. Fasting isn't a diet, bro. Okay, let's just put it on the table, right? Just like Habakkuk puts everything on the table, it's not a diet. Okay. Fasting is abstaining from food, abstaining from media, from entertainment. It's abstaining from these things that in all honesty you quite depend on. You abstain from those so that your dependency on God increases. You don't participate in those things so that you find yourself in communion with God. And it's hard because when you fast, you will quickly learn what your gods are. You will quickly learn about it. We talked about this a little bit at our Lent service. and if you, if you didn't go there, here here's kind of the big picture of it. The only reason we had a Lent service was because we saw it as an opportunity and as a catalyst to teach on fasting and communion. It's not the only time that you're supposed to do it. Let me just be clear about that. But it's a catalyst, right? It's intentionally taking this season as a catalyst and hoping that it becomes a regular rhythm in your life. That's why we're doing it. And several people in our CG are fasting and it's torturous, some are fasting from food for three days. Some are fasting once uh, a week on food. Whatever the thing is. People are, are, are fasting. Now, what's been so incredible about that is that God is dealing with them specifically. You know, I really wanted to fast because I want to see what God is you know, trying to tell me. You know, all of these things are happening. God's like, you need to repent. What? It's not at all what I asked you. And that's what they're encountering. Forces you to have dependency on God in the midst of communion. In the midst of communion. I think about, honestly, I think about when we moved into this location, right? Now, a lot of you know the story, but we're coming up like on our one year at Storehouse, so I I think I could tell you now, right? All right, here we go. And if you, (laughs) you don't believe me, you can ask James, he's in the back, right? Here, here's what happened. We were in our old building, right? And we had a deadline to get out of there at the end of August, okay? We had a deadline to get out of there. So we spent the summer looking at buildings. I had zero clue where we were going to go. So I start fasting on Fridays, right? fasting, and I'm praying, and I'm just like, God, what is it that you're gonna, where, where are you taking us? <laughs> and all he said was, repent and the city. That's all that kept getting to me. Repent and the city. So I go to James, and he says, what did God tell you? He told me to repent. And then the next week, he says, what did God tell you? And I said, the city. What does that mean? I don't know, Right? So we start looking for buildings all along Main Street, and none of the buildings are available. have no clue what to do. We're on a timeline, or we're on a deadline. We have a deadline, right? Through God's grace and the kindness of one of our members, we learn about the incubator. Everything sounds legit. Man, we're going to save money. We can do so much things here. We got office space. All of this wonderful stuff. It's still a city building. Well, what does that mean? We still need to apply for permits. Okay, man. Let's get let's let's start doing this. Let's apply for these permits. Once we learned that we needed to apply for the permits, we learned that we were actually two days late. And uh, uh, one of the city uh, supervisors, superintendent, was so kind and said, "You can still turn it in." Oh my gosh! Thank you. We turned in the permits. We're like praying. Everybody is fasting. I still don't know what God is doing because we're in the middle of a giant transition. We get to the point where they say, man, you need to go to planning and zoning meetings. If there's any opposition, you might not get the building. So we go. One dude had a question. That was cool. He left. Other than that, we got the approval. And we're like, yes, that's awesome. Man, let's start making these plans. We need to start getting things out of the old building. And we need to start moving things. And we need to go to a storage unit and blah, blah, blah. And then we're in this one meeting. And someone says, oh, don't forget, you have a commissioner's meeting. Well, what does that mean? Well, just because you've gone through planning and zoning, now you need to go to the commissioners. They give the final approval. Awesome. (laughs) It's the end of August, right? August has, what, 31 days? Something like that, right? 31 days. (laughs) The commission, so we're supposed to get out of that building on the 31st. The commission meeting was on the 29th. (laughs) that was horrible. (laughs) And so on the 29th at five o'clock, I show up, I feel really out of place. It's been a while since I'd been to city hall. And so I show up and the mayor says, man, I'm so glad churches are opening (laughs) approved. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Tuesday comes, we start moving things. Wednesday comes, it's like nine of us doing everything and moving all of the things. I had zero clue what God was doing. And there were weeks where I could not do anything other than wait. It was in the hands of the planning and zoning, and it was in the hands of the commissioners. I could not do anything other than seek counsel, fast, and right to process. I had, we had no answer You might be in a similar season. Man, I'm I'm doing all of the things. I'm trying to be faithful and diligent. And I still have this giant question mark. And he calls us to walk by faith. Now, man, the end of that story is that Sunday we were able to launch here. And that was wonderful. That's awesome. That's not every story, though. That's not every story. Remember, faith isn't always getting what you want. And so fasting and communion is this is this discipline that it hurts, but its aim is to teach us about our dependence or lack of on God. And here's the, fa- the final one: time with God versus clarity, or ain't clarity. Man. If you don't, I encourage you to to set up regular time spent with God in his word with the journal, processing, writing things down, bringing your frustrations to him, bringing your questions before him. Now, when I say clarity, that doesn't mean that you're going to get the answers you want. Right? Going back to the whole building example, it was, "Lord, where are you taking us? I need you to repent." That's not, you, you didn't tell, I will, but what about the building? I need you to repent. Just because we're spending this time with God doesn't mean you're gonna have clarity or the answers that you want, but he will respond. He will respond. And so finally in closing, here would be my final thoughts, my reminders. Jesus isn't a God who idly stands by or supervises us from afar, but one who actually came down and entered into human history. He personally knows what it's like to lament and to be frustrated. The shortest verse in the Bible is that Jesus wept. Hebrews 4 says that for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. That means he can personally relate to us just a lot more perfectly. Jesus on the cross died in our place. Check it. He died in our place to remove the punishment that was awaiting us forever. On the cross, Jesus died and exchanged His righteousness for the sin of the ungodly. What makes Him so personal is that His offer of salvation is a result of Him being what we could not be. Of Him identifying with us and meeting our need for a Savior. If there are two categories, bad guys and Jesus, we are in need of a Savior, and His name is Jesus. For the one who doesn't know Jesus, you can come to Him as He meets your deepest need on the condition of repentance. For the one who belongs to Jesus, be reminded that you have a Savior who is your deepest need. The question Habakkuk asks of how long for us really is Jesus, when will you return? And so until that time or until that day, we use this time, we use this tension, the tension that we currently live in, we use this tension to prepare as we move forward and await his return. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as Lord, as we begin to close our time, Lord, let our cry let our cry be honest. Let our cry be biblical and let us boldly approach you so that you would change us, not our circumstance. So that you would transform our hearts and so that we would be a cross-driven people, not an issue-driven people. And that we would find encouragement through Habakkuk. As you've not only answered prayer, but we see you at work in the life of your children. Those, and as we belong to you, please be at work in his Holy Spirit. Do a work in us. Do a work in us. So that we become more like Jesus as we transition to a time of, of tithes and offerings, this is, where, this is where we give God our stuff. This is where we are not bound by materials. This is where we're not bound by status. This is where we demonstrate a testimony of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. This is where we say our standard is the generosity of Christ on the cross, of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And as we pray and as we move forward, we're going to walk into a time where we give Jesus our sin. We're reminded that we are accepted on the condition of faith alone. It is by Him and through Him only. We ask all these things in Your name. Amen.